Hi, I'm your host, Thomas, data scientist, data engineer, and you're listening Let's Talk AI. On this podcast, we receive experts to talk about their experience, visions, challenges, with no fear to go into technical details. If you're looking to learn more about AI and related subjects, you're at the right place to make yourself comfortable and enjoy. If you like this episode, please give us a review on your favorite streaming platform, such as Spotify or Apple Podcast. You can also find more content on my LinkedIn newsletter. Hello everyone, hello everyone, welcome on Let's Talk AI. I'm super happy today to be with Alexandre Denis. Um, so I will ask you, Alexandre, to, to, to introduce yourself for the people to know you a little bit better. But first of all, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Thanks, Thomas. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here also. Um, so to the people who might not know you, uh, What do you do uh, and how would you describe yourself? It can be professionally, but also outside of work. Well, um, I would say I'm a programmer first. Uh, I learned programming when I was a kid and I really enjoyed it. And uh, that's why I continued in engineering and uh, artificial intelligence. So, yeah, I would say my first, uh, let's say, property or feature would be I'm a programmer. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, since I was interested in AI, I continued uh, in that field. Um, and yeah, I have a lot of interest, uh, like um, psychology, video games, many things. And uh, well, um, I don't know whether maybe you want me to introduce myself from the beginning <laughs> up to now. Or, <laughs> so like I don't from, know. Okay, up tell me you. about all your life. No, no, of course. Um, I will. Uh, I will like uh, to to ask you more uh, uh, details question regarding like, your journey um, and um, what you've done so far. Uh, sure. Whether it's uh, personal interest, uh, uh, your programming. Uh, uh, we've talked a bit about video games. I really want to know more about that and like how to implement AI in video games. This mm. is a very interesting topic. Um, we might also talk about Eredit. Um, Uh, like different projects you've worked on. I'm super interested on, on that. But um, if we start by your uh, what you're doing today, um, what are you working on right now? And what are your um, like uh, main focus things at the moment? Well, there are, there are several. Um, first, there is indeed the professional one. Is that mm -hmm. takes uh, most of my day, and um, currently I'm a freelancer working as a, a research engineer um, okay. for several customers, and the main one is indeed Erudit, um, in a dance company where they they want to find the key indicators. Uh, it's a nature tech, so it's uh, in that area. And they want to find the, um, the, the voice of employee from their uh, text messages. That is, they mm. analyze the text messages and uh, find indicators uh, regarding well-being or the uh, personal appraisal of the work, this kind of things, um, from the, ch the chat messages and, um, and the mails and this kind of, of text inputs. 
and um, the the work lies uh, between different areas. There is there's a fair amount of NLP, of course, since we're mm -hmm. analyzing text. But there's also the psychological aspects. That is, how should we model uh, the different um, features we want to extract from text to describe the employees and their yes. personal appraisal of their work or the environment, this kind of things. All right. That's super interesting. Every time I talk about Eredit, uh, we've had already Ricardo on the podcast. I recommend everyone nice. to listen to cool. to, um, to 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 Ricardo's episode. It's super interesting. We talk about a lot of different things, and and every time I talk about Eredit and and how how yourself and, and the team works with um, people who are in the field of psychology to mm -hmm. to to like define things. Uh, mm. I'm. I'm always. Uh, I always wonder because uh, um, because I, when I tell to people about Erudit, uh, there is one question that always comes. It is um, RGPD. Like, how do yeah. you like? Is there a way, for example, people um, in the company, um, mm. like for example, managers or leaders, could use? all the work that you guys are doing on using just text messages on group yeah. chats and all of that, is there, a, is there a way that they can use in a bad way to like be harder on, on the people or like, or like how do you guys do at Reddit uh, to, to manage the RGPD and data confidentiality? Well, and... the, there, yeah, there are several answers to, to this question. Um, first, there's a data perspective. That is how you handle the data. Um, mm -hmm. You can have several levels of anonymization, for instance. You mm -hmm. can The very basic one is uh, pseudonymization. That is where you would just remove some metadata information by just discarding the user names or user emails, uh, whatever. And there's, there's the in-content anonymization where you would just alter the content of the text, the messages, to just strip out personal information, this kind of things, such that you can work with the data but without all this personal information. Mm -hmm. um, and regarding the second question of whether you can use it for bad reasons, I guess, yeah, I mean, uh, that's, that's, um, that's uh, we are providing some tools, some data analytics, and then it's up to the people to use them. But um, I may not be the best person to answer to that particular question because I'm mostly interested in modeling the phenomena that are behind uh, how people express themselves and how you would model that and um, and then present that in some meaningful way. Uh, as to the use of this information, we have some level of control, like the anonymization aspects. Uh, we also are are um, we take care of not uh, disclosing this kind of information like the, the names or, or in the in the tool itself. So there, yes. there are some layers of security, but mm -hmm. it's true that in the end, it's like a, a knife. For instance, a knife, you can cut bread, you can kill people with it. It's, um, yeah, it's a multi-purpose tool. So, yeah. I always use a, a very similar analogy. I always tell about uh, an axe. An axe, can an axe. Get a tree an axe and, knife. Uh, and a, an axe also can kill uh, someone. That's, uh, that's the same. That's the same. But, uh, but yeah, but like the, the anonymization part is always what concerns because uh, people are people might think, oh my god, they will uh, they will be able to read all my conversations. And no, of course, it's not like that. There is like anonymization yeah. process, and and so um, 
So yeah, and and yes, I understand and that this is uh, mandatory in Europe, no, to have this kind of uh, of process to protect the data of people. Yes, uh, th there are there are uh, these uh, these requirements. There's the the need uh, or the uh, you have to be able to destroy any kind of data you may have saved. Mm -hmm. um, so there is some protection, of course. Uh, I think mm. in the US it's less less protected than in Europe, much less, mm. I think. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. Okay, I, I wanted to, because you said it, I wanted to get directly uh, to, to this point. Uh, anonymization uh, is an interesting aspect and like not being able to keep the data and being um, like having to delete it. All of these things are implemented in Europe. I know the laws are different. In China, for example, we can do a lot of Things oh if we work with the government, China, yeah, a lot of bad things. Oh my um, God. <clears throat> but um, great. Let's get back to your background and, and who huh? you are. So, yeah. could you kind of take us back uh, with you on your journey with AI and sure. just like a yeah. bit what you've done, the projects you've seen, yeah. your history? So yeah, uh, I think my interest is. Um, like a very long time ago when I when actually I was a, a kid or a teenager and I was like coding all these games and uh, was interested in how you would emulate some kind of intelligent or human-like behavior in games yes and, um, and yeah this was like I thought about this very early on so um, then when I, I, I had my uh, engineering degree uh, I specialized in uh, knowledge engineering so knowledge engineering is um, is, is the, the like a branch of in artificial intelligence, if you will. Like um, it's how we um, we were modeling uh, truth, logics, this kind of things, ontologies, um, yeah. and and then um, it's it was in my um, internship actually that mm. um, I joined the laboratory. Okay. Uh, to do my uh, yeah, final year internship, and um, it was on multimodal dialogue systems, which are actually kind of chatbots. Now we would say chatbots. It's a bit different because they are uh, uh, practical. They they are oriented, task oriented, and okay. um, and it was a nice system where you would like use your gesture and uh, speech at the same time to. Okay. Like um, on a map, you would say, okay, I want to go there, I want to go there. It would compute uh, some pathfinding and would just interact with you, ask you questions, this kind of things. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, it was yeah, quite uh, novel at the time to use ta tablets. I was um, in 2003. So like 20 years ago, <laughs> that's uh, yeah, it's like the you had a pencil for the tablet. Uh, yeah, you didn't use your, your finger, of course. Um, and yeah, so it was very interesting because I, um, I had the opportunity to understand or to discover all the different uh, building blocks of such uh, dialogue systems. And at the time, they were uh, like separated, like different modules. You would just try to plug together. Now mm -hmm. it's more we are moving more to towards end-to-end -end, uh, architectures. But at the time, you had to focus um, your work on, for instance, the uh, speech recognition, then uh, the um, uh, lexical analysis, then syntactic analysis, semantic analysis, 
uh, reference, dialogue, generation, all these different kinds of models. You have to mm -hmm. bring them together and make them work. And we, we did a lot of things back then, uh, like trying to figure out what would be the glue language between all these modules. How could you make all these modules interact and talk to each other? So yeah, it was designing this uh, glue language, uh, developing the model, the, developing the, the whole system, making it work. Um, was was very interesting, very very cool. So um, when uh, they asked me whether I wanted to continue there, uh, like with a master and a PhD, I said, okay, uh, that's cool. So let's do mm -hmm. it. Uh, I did first my master. Okay. Um, I was in computational linguistics on the particular problem of reference resolution, reference modeling. You know, okay. reference, it's when you have a linguistic, the pronouns, this kind of things. Actually, it can be very intricate. And at the time, we were trying to model the um, all the f linguistic phenomena and the mental phenomena, the mental, sta mental state, where uh, you would bring them together. That You, you would build an interpretation uh, that is partially complete because you don't have the pronouns. You have mm -hmm. a kind of logical forms of what you are expressing and then you you try to somehow complete it and try to find in the context what are the reference for the pronouns or the uh, all the non phrases and um, so it was very linguistic oriented approach very cool very very interesting and then um, after the master I went to the PhD where I worked on many many topics it was very open-ended, um, but the, the general theme of the PhD was um, uh, common ground, gr the grounding process. That is how yeah. two individuals or a, a human and a machine uh, can come up, can chat together by building a common ground. By okay. um, the, the, it's uh, like it's a concept that uh, stems from philosophy or psychology or linguistics. Where um, it's it's like the um, how how could you say it? It's like a shared body of knowledge that you would okay. use to to produce your messages, but also you would build up through interaction through time. And um, and I was looking at all the difficult all the cases where it, this process would break down. That is. Um, mm. When you don't understand each other, you you don't hear the other one, or you misinterpret. For instance, there is a a, a quiproquo. Um, okay. There is a misunderstanding, and then you have like a different interpretation of the same same messages, mm -hmm. and this misunderstanding can last. That's that the thing. It can last for for several um, for some time. Okay. And then in the end, where you just oh oh my god, I know you were you were meaning that or you were meaning that person. Then mm -hmm. you would have to like somehow reinterpret uh, all the past uh, and this kind of uh, intricate uh, uh, processes and how you would model that uh, from the computational linguistic perspective. Mm -hmm. That is, it's a bit different from NLP. Uh, where you would mostly do signal processing, this kind of thing, or word uh, discrete signal processing. But uh, here, uh, yeah, it's like trying to model this uh, from insights, from philosophy, psychology, logics, um, discourse analysis, uh, mm -hmm. all, all these, these areas.
So um, yeah, it was it was very cool, and I I did many other things, just like the tip of the iceberg. And then I did two postdocs to continue in this direction. The first one was um, was a bit in the continuation of this work uh, in the in the grounding and common ground, and it was more targeted to um, towards uh, online communities. That is mm. how people online are inter are interacting to um, build common knowledge and how they are building a common practice for a certain area or certain domain. Uh, the, we were working more precisely on Wikipedia and how people are interacting to build the Wikipedia pages. That is how they are. Uh, yeah, what are the kind of interaction? Um, and more precisely, again, we uh, looked at the conflicts. That is how when people are conflicting and, and they have conflicts about the end task, which is building the page, and mm -hmm. how these conflicts spawn, how they are. Um, how they are resolved, how they evolve through time, and uh, yeah, it was very interesting. We worked with a lot of cool people. So um, the then uh, the second postdoc was um, yeah no first yeah at this postdoc there's something interesting that while we were uh, investigating the conflict, we mm -hmm. specifically looked at sentiment analysis. That is trying to find the polarity of a sentence. That is to okay. That is to say, uh, if a sentence is uh, mostly positive, negative, neutral, it's the, the simplest version of this task would be given a message, output one of these three category, and um, and then we we used it to classify to yeah to classify the messages, but um, to describe a, a conversation or a conflict, okay. and then yeah. Do you have a question, or I mean, <laughs> otherwise it's a tunnel? I'm go. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I was like following, and because, okay. yeah, please go, go ahead, go okay, ahead. Okay, I'm, so, I'm okay, so, okay, okay, cool. Um, so yeah, uh, I, we worked on this sentiment analyzer, uh, and the funny thing is that for for this for this task, uh, initially I used the classical approach, you know, like okay. um, modeling using um, uh, symbolic analysis using. Um, lexicons using uh, syntactic rules like valence shifting rules where you would say for instance um, I'm not happy if you have the negation then uh, you revert the positive polarity of happy that mm. you would build this kind of rules um, which in the end uh, turned uh, quite difficult uh, if you want to be really to have a very good uh, a good analysis and but I tried machine learning back then. It was like in uh, 2010 or something like that, and um, maybe a bit earlier. And, um, and yeah, it was much easier, <laughs> much much easier, much 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 more efficient for this task. Um, much definitely 100 times more easier. Okay. Uh, easier so yeah that's uh, that's where i realized that maybe yeah we should uh, <laughs> we should look to into that um into, nonetheless into, yeah into Sorry. machine learning right yeah into... yeah yeah to to include more machine learning in the mix uh i i don't despise of course uh, the symbolic analysis which has a lot of virtues and mm -hmm. we may talk about that uh, that's a world topic by its own Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so um, I was interested in this uh, like more organic thing. That is the 
the sentiment uh, analysis it's it was a kind of, it was a, a bit different from the the thing that people were doing back then because yes. um there was a lot of interest in uh, in logics where you would analyze the semantics of a sentence okay. but here it's more um related to the connotation area that is you would um you would not describe this in terms of truth values but rather uh, a kind of properties of the of the messages that are not akin to true values it's something a bit different it's there's a lot of subjectivity in there and mm -hmm. um and therefore the the second postdoc i i was looking into other kind of uh, it was a, a different project international project with a lot of partners where we looked at um, empathic products that the goal of the project was to explore different kind of products that uh, would be labeled empathic that is they would be aware of the emo emotions and intentions mm -hmm. of the user and yes. would adapt better to the users okay and um and this in this project we continued the work of um the the sentiment analysis and we looked at emotion detection. That is how you would do basically the same thing, but with a greater set of um, of classes. That okay. uh, would be uh, the ones that we used were the Ekman emotions. So um, um, we looked at the you know the Ekman emotions like uh, joy, sadness, fear, okay. uh, surprise, disgust. These these are the main five. Um, okay. And um, and yeah, so we, we we did this emotion analyzer, and um, and yeah, and we we applied it in several cases. So that was that was pretty cool. And the last year, I loved it. Uh, so <laughs> these guys, they were awesome. That the, the, by the way, these are the guys from the Loria laboratory in Nancy. They are pretty awesome. Okay. A very good uh, research laboratory. And um, and they granted me like the last year uh, some money to do whatever I wanted. And I worked at a, a video game that I wanted to explore and build, which um, it was uh, the the game was called Emosim. Like well, I'm not so good at finding names, but emotion simulation. Emotion. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, the goal was to try to tackle the emotion modeling. That is how you would model in an NPC, a non-player character, yes. the, um, the emotions. That is how the emotion would spawn, when, um, and how would it uh, evolve, how would it be resolved and disappear, replaced by another emotion, depending on the situation. And uh, that was that was not easy, but it was very cool the game you can find it uh, there's a, it's on the web it's on the, my my website um, awesome. and uh, and yeah so for one year I developed this project and um, it was it was pretty awesome and and also yeah very hard because you have to combine two different things that are that do not go well together or hard to control that is you need to on one hand, model emotions that are realistic or that are that somehow make sense, but also you have the goal of making the game fun. And what happens is that the reality of or the model that you are building, okay, is the good one. I mean, but then it's not fun. 
Yes. I mean, if it's not fun, then you have a bad game, and therefore you may you just have to alter your your model uh, of uh, of uh, emotions. So um, that's and that's intricate because the, I had to make some compromises and just to uh, to be less rigorous than we would be uh, on the um, on the classical academic uh, mm. uh, point of view. So yeah, that uh, I was very nice. Uh, but then I left um, the public uh, research to okay. move towards the private sector, and uh, okay. I was also interested in finding out how what our people are doing in this um, in in the private sector, and how are they approaching approaching problems, how they are building things. Yes. And um, and the the first the first job I had in the private sector was uh, the head of R and D of the NLP aspect of R and D at the fintech. Okay. So it was rather different from the my former uh, experience, and uh, it was was pretty interesting. Where, um, it was at the very beginning of the startup, so um, and they they were trying to analyze a big amount of data. And to perform some kind of sentiment analysis on the on the data in order to predict the stock market or to be related to the stock market to some extent, mm -hmm. uh, forecasting and this kind of things. And th so the challenges at the time um, were to yeah the the sheer amount of data um, that you had to to process, and uh, you have to make some compromise in terms of the the analysis you want to do on the messages and how you would like aggregate uh, all these messages such that yes. the end signal could be used mm -hmm. um, by uh, another like let's say for instance uh, a, a regression or, or an auto regression on the on the stock prices such that you can mix the sentiment signal and the the price signal and then uh, in order to predict the the future and um so yeah it was it was uh, it was pretty awesome pretty cool um i learned a lot of things regarding big data and uh, and it was also the opportunity to explore different kind of sentiment analysis mm. that is to look for targeted sentiment analysis mm. so um, the 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 targeting here it means about which expression in the sentence you would have your sentiment uh, towards that is, for instance, if you say uh, I hate uh, apples but I love cheese, uh, yes. so uh, apples negative but cheese positive. So this kind of modeling can in, it can go very far in terms of the kind of information you are analyzing because the problem is actually pretty complex. Because if you say, for instance, I used to hate apples but now I love them, so this is now temporal. You see, you have two sentiments, but one is in the past, one is in now, and yes. there is also the irrealist, the conditionals, like you say, I would love apples if blah blah blah. Uh, so it's not positive, but uh, maybe it's not exactly neutral either. So yeah, this kind of um, f phenomena, how you would model them, is uh, is very is very complex, and. Um, and yeah, so that was very interesting. But at some time, uh, I wanted to change and explore other things. And this is when I I, uh, I changed my status to be a freelancer okay. and a consultant for R&D matters at all levels of the R&D uh, domain or um, 
tasks if you want okay. there is mm -hmm. the the part regarding uh, grants grants proposal where you would like uh, write projects define all the structure of a project one year two year three years where you would like how there's this task how can i do it in three years yes. and uh, how far we can go in three years this kind of planning and management there is also all the, the aspects regarding the, um, the development itself, that is the research and development, how you would do the research and uh, how from the research you can do the, the actual development, how can it, uh, yeah, the day-to-day -day, uh, work that you have to do in order to build the, the AI tools. And uh, so I had several clients and my main one, my first main one was uh, in HR tech. So I went from FinTech to HR tech, which um, it was a good move because I think I wanted to explore more the psychology, get back to the psychology matters. Yes. Um, and uh, but yeah, this company in HR tech, they were mostly doing the well, they are still mostly doing they are they are doing well. They are doing the uh, um, matching between uh, resumes and job offers uh, after parsing. So you would just parse your documents and then try to match them. Overall, okay. they are doing other things, of course. But uh, I worked on this area by um, exploring the kind of, of documents that the HR documents at hand mostly focusing on what kind of informations has there are there how you would uh, structure them model them extract them with which models with which quality and all these uh, aspects and mm -hmm. um and yeah i worked with a with a great team that was that was a pretty cool um but then i wanted to get back to more the psychology core and that's yes. why why i i, I worked with uh, erudit to yeah because uh, now with erudit i work with real psychologies that are very good and then uh, yeah we we explore all this uh phenomena and uh, how the how the people are, are behaving or are expressing themselves how they are feeling mm. and um and yeah and there's a lot to cover yeah we have we have many many things to do so yeah so we are now <laughs> and then wow. we are now <laughs> sorry i well, spoke for like 20 minutes <laughs> let me tell you that was uh, i didn't say anything because uh, i was just hearing and living with you like all your career and, and i know like <laughs> you left out a lot of project and side projects that you might have done but uh, uh, yeah. i think it I really gives it. a big overview of um anyone that want to that wants to know more about you like everyone is thinking of how like uh, paying you uh, as a freelance on their project well here they have your curriculum i guess uh, if, yeah. they were, if they were having doubts now now they they shouldn't <laughs> <laughs> that's cool thanks but yeah. um, i have so many questions though, sure, because sure. as i was listening to, to to everything you said you, you mentioned different points that i really i really loved um uh, different points are, for example, you talk about gluing different models together mm. really at the beginning of what yeah. you said. You talk about video games and putting AI into, uh, the, into the, the, the NPCs. Is it correct? Mm. NPCs, mm. yes. Yeah. Uh, that's super interesting. That I wanted to, to get back on sure. that. Um, I would also like to, to, to ask you some questions about um, like sentiment analysis. Uh, how would you approach specific problems? I have a, a specific thing that I was thinking the other day. I, I might uh, share it with you to have mm -hmm. your, your point of view on it. Um, and also you talk about 
being a researcher going to the private sector mm. uh, that's super interesting also i feel mm. so so stay tuned because after this uh, very impressive re- resume um <laughs> we're going to a bit deep dive into <laughs> yeah, things. Sure. So, okay so first of all i would like to ask you about um if you have if you have So you, you talked about gluing the models together. Mm, yeah. And I, I really, at the beginning, you yes. struggled with that. Uh, today, Reddit, I would assume that there are many models working and you need to, to mix them. Yes. How would you approach things well, like that? Yeah, first, um, the, the, let's say, model gluing, is um, the, it was a necessity back then. Maybe now it's less required because okay. we are moving towards end-to-end architectures so um, but back then it was pretty hard i mean we didn't have that uh, the advances on machine learning neural networks that uh, we have we had in the after 2010 mostly we had of course a lot of work before uh, that we shouldn't mm-hmm. uh, yeah Um, but uh, it was it really exploded uh, at least in the NLP field uh, after like the Colbert paper in uh, 2011. I was mm. like, uh, wow, you can do all these tasks using uh, a neural network uh, uh, without almost no lexicons, no module specifics, you know, mm-hmm. because back then you have you had really you you have to see like a, a pipeline really you have okay. these modules that um uh, you you they were uh, kind of similar to how you would tackle uh, compilers you know when the compiler for a formal language mm-hmm. uh, would have to all do all these uh, analysis steps you know yes. uh, tokens uh, syntax semantics execution this kind of things and uh, the uh, interpretation pipeline uh, where you would have your message uh, in the in the input and the output would have a logical form that c- you could use to query your database or do a, a, a truth uh, or reasoning or this kind mm-hmm. of things Um, but the all these modules they were coming from different uh, areas different um, specialties if you want so mm-hmm. you have like all the syntax all the syntax part that the goal back then was to really parse the the sentences and build a syntactic structure from the messages um, and um, And then this syntactic structure, you would try to build a logical form uh, from it. There is, um, uh, imagine that you, you, you had to identify the subject, the verb, the object, and then from this, you would have to convert it. So imagine that you have a syntactic tree, you have to convert it in a, in a logical world where you would do your reasoning. Um, but now, uh, and therefore, yeah, you had to to have this glue language between all independent modules. That is how you would convert a logical form. Or how would you model uh, the, the 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 either the syntactic view of the message and the semantic view on the message and the data view? That is, imagine you you perform your query on database. How you would get your results in such form that um, is unified across your architectures. Um, but now it's a, 
I, I would say it's still present uh, in some form. Uh, this the need of having this glue language. Mm -hmm. um, however, they now, as I said, uh, the the big trend is to move towards end-to-end -to -end, um, language models or architectures, yes. and therefore um, this need is less important in terms of um, tr transport of information or modeling because you would have like your big end-to-end -end architecture that takes your input and your output and uh, you train your model by having these pairs of input output pairs you know and then you you would train your model to from the input uh, produce this kind of output yes. so therefore the need of first you don't have all these sub modules but just an end-to-end -end architecture which mm -hmm. has it has it is interesting because you have a lot of benefits but also some drawbacks of using this kind of approach yeah. the main benefit is that you you don't have error propagation there is okay. having this kind of uh, layered analysis has uh, the main shortcoming that if you do an error at the beginning of your of your pipeline then this error propagates until the end therefore okay. if you fail to parse a sentence you fail to uh, connect uh, an object to its verb for instance then you are guaranteed at the syntactic stage you are guaranteed to to be enabled to build your logical form where you would do your end query in a database whereas now um, since you you move toward the end-to-end -to -end analysis yes. um, you you can you can use uh, let's say uh, information from all other uh, levels that is you can use syntactic information and semantic information at the same time mm. and you can like reduce the amount of errors and uh, therefore somehow it, it's in well, no it's not somehow it's really more robust than the okay. pipeline oriented approach mm. the downside with this that you you will fail to have a particular perspective on your data that is in the pipeline approach your modules sequential modules you can like probe your your model uh, your your system uh, for let's say syntactic errors or semantic yes. errors and then the model is able to react or use this information uh, for instance, oh, uh, maybe I'm missing a syntactic relationship here. I need to to do some action. Maybe in the interaction, I need to 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 get into the 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 why is there this link missing, or to ask some more clarification. Uh, if there is an expression that the system does not understand, it, it will know that it does not understand it for mm -hmm. this and these reasons, and then mm -hmm. it can act upon it because it has a, like a, a marker to do so. Whereas okay. now this problem is tackled differently in the in the current architectures, and um, to be honest, they are they are quite, they are doing not so bad actually. Um, like the 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 chat GPT, which mm. uh, I guess we, we should talk at some point. But yes, um, yeah, it it is able to to know when it doesn't know, and uh, it can give some information about it. But um, to some extent, it's able to do that. Uh, however, I'm not sure if we can. Well, it's, it's so powerful, it's so <laughs> gigantic. So uh, to know what it cannot do, 
and really describe it is much harder. Actually, in the end-to-end -end approach, it's much harder because you have, you know, the interpretability of uh, neural networks is, is hard. It's a, it's a whole topic where you have to build like a special procedure to either discover the, the weights precisely where, where are the, um, the, the values or just uh, degrade your, you know, you can degrade your input and see how the model behaves on the degraded input. That means yes. that on this uh, uh, aspect of the input text, the model behaves like that. So um, it's much harder to understand what's going on in this, uh, in this uh, large language models or large uh, uh, networks or architectures as opposed to the pipeline one. But the benefit, I mean, is so big that to be much more robust because uh, that was the problem that plagued the systems back in the in the early days where you would just build a super system that worked in a very narrow area now they tackled the robustness by using the the pre-training on very large amount of data and um, making sure to build systems that are pretty pretty generic like chat yes. can do anything <laughs> a lot of a lot of things it's not without defects but uh is is pretty pretty amazing and um and yeah so that's that's a question about the glue language i feel uh, like just... we cover it i was wondering though do, would you have any for example i'm let's say i had this thing i have this post coming uh, about uh, cyberbullying online and, and i have this idea of using nlp to like detect when people send harmful texts, for example, um, harmful messages. Mm. But like the idea is not to impact uh, liberty of expression. Mm. Of course not. Like the idea is just to like everyone is able to criticize or anything. But mm. there is a level where it becomes hate. You know, like when you're mm -hmm. over sending negative comments towards mm. one person and not yeah. that. And so the idea is to like build a pipeline of of different models that. The, that are able to do this this distinction. Mm, yeah. Uh, now, to a guy like me, for example, uh, that that have not your expertise, uh, you were talking about pipelines and new technologies and, and new ways to glue things together. Uh, would you have some names of technology uh, that you would recommend to to use to to people, like how to like starting point and then and then going. The, yeah, they are. Uh, I cannot give you a specific because the, it's a whole area. Uh, I think that uh, just if you do some research, I guess you can find the latest. I would approach sure. it this way. So you can search for papers. You can search for existing tools that do uh, hateful speech uh, mm -hmm. recognition or classification. Uh, otherwise, there is the 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 two big strategies to handle this is. Um, the, the first one is uh, classical supervised learning, where you would uh, have a bunch of messages uh, and then you would classify them and you know that this message is a hate speech, this message is not, this message is hate speech, and you will build a big database. I'm pretty sure that already exists, by the way. And, uh, and then you build a, a supervised um, a classification on this uh, using whatever model you want. I mean, there are plenty, there are many, many. Uh, I would go for hanging face models that are mm. very straightforward to use, very mm. easy. So um, this and is the main approach. The cloud directly, like Azure products, AWS, or it doesn't really matter to you. You've used uh, you've used it all. And... For me, uh, it doesn't really matter. I would just uh, get the data and 
get a machine with a GPU, of course, and yep. get the training done, doing a, a careful evaluation about its um, the the classification abilities. But uh, it's it may be it may be time consuming because you will have to build if the data does not exist, like uh, this problem the, the the one you are referring to is the is is pretty generic. I think it's uh, um, you should do some research about it, but they, I, I think it's pretty generic and I guess you would find some data about it. But if you have a mm -hmm. problem that is much more fine-grained or very, very more difficult, then you will have difficulties finding some data. And then yes. if there's no data there, you would have to build your data. And this is where the problems start to be really real because how you would define the boundary between uh, hateful, non-hateful, uh, it's it's exactly. uh, it, it's maybe very subtle, and the amount of data you would need uh, might be yeah. It's it's hard to come up with a number, and uh, and they are building models that try to work with less amount of data. You know, so um, it's it, I would I would just do some experiment about it, mm -hmm. train uh, build a small data set or find it and train a, a, a model. Mm -hmm. But then there's also the other approach, which is more training now, um, which is the the meta learning and all the prompting. You know, when you all the GPT approach, where you would just describe uh, your problems in few in few examples in the future learning, you would just say, okay, here are examples of uh, hateful speech. Uh, this is hateful, this is not hateful, you give few examples and then you ask the, the model um, how, what is the, this message, is it hateful or not? So since it's a, it's a very large language model, uh, it will have already in its latent space a lot of information um, uh, stored regarding uh, the, the polarity, the sentiment, the hate, love, hate, relations, mm. many semantic concepts regarding that uh, um, and expression. And therefore, it might be able to give some some answer. And that's, mm. that's pretty cheap in the sense of that does not require a lot of, uh, of effort. However, you have the quality control because uh, then um, my issue with this is this it's very cool you can do a lot of things very fast uh, but then it's it's in general lower quality than the supervised approach because in the supervised approach you can be really fine-grained and say and really defined what you mean by hateful by when you you give all the examples it's like a definition of what means hateful mm. therefore um, in the when using prompts and the uh, gpt3 or chat gpt is kind of approach um, you you may you may face yeah a, a quality a quality control and uh, by the way it's uh, it's how they built it they they built this um, you know, they, they, they have these big language models and after that they have a, a phase where they would control the quality of what, of what is said by having, well, not exactly supervised learning, but reinforcement learning, yes. where they would just make sure that the, the outputs are uh, satisfying enough for a human uh, a reader and uh, also that it's... Um, uh, it makes sure that it is not hateful itself. Mm -hmm. But they are using a lot of data to do that, a lot of uh, annotations. So um, that the thing is that the 
the the core truth behind all this is data as the the machine learning it's the models they are doing a lot of mm -hmm. course but the, it's the what is in the data how you would yeah. describe the data and back then it's uh, it was something we knew already um the 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 data contains a lot but back then the algorithms were um, very specific, very narrow to some tasks. And the big progress of the past uh, 15 years was to, to, to build architectures and models that are very generic. That, that's the, the thing. And then since they were very generic, they were able to consume a lot of different kinds of data and even do the, the trick, you know, the big trick that changed everything regarding, you know, like masking or you remove a word and you ask the model, what would be that word like language models? You would mm -hmm. train the model in a, in a self-supervised way and therefore you can use all the data that you can possibly you don't need annotation which is the part that is costly so mm -hmm. yeah but you can do both you can that's the cool thing is that you can use a model that is trained on a large amount of data of course and then fine-tune it on your particular problem uh, hoping that you will require less data yes. um, as opposed to if you would have started from scratch that's awesome so yeah Awesome. I hope uh, it helps you guys um, who are listening. Uh, let us know what, what you think and what is your approach and, and what have you done so far. I would be super interested to, to know about it. Just to conclude on, on my little ID, the ID would be an output of an angry emoji uh, along the, the name of the person on the socials, for example, Twitter. And like you could have like, you could only see yourself at the beginning, like if you send in private message hate to someone and if you're abusing of it, then it would be public. So you won't be restrained by anything, but you will be able to see this little emoji. And so people will know that you send more hates and you mm. share your ideas. Then, then it's a bit different because it's not only message classification. It's yes. also through time. There is exactly. harassment. There is... And that's a bit different problem because you you may need um, to consider that what if someone is hateful but very slightly hateful but every yeah. day as opposed yeah. to someone that one day is very very hateful like horrible messages but once yes and uh, how would you yeah. tackle this it's, it's mm, not that's so obvious super interesting. It's not I feel so like obvious setting thresholds and and you mentioned it a lot but it's like really defining what is hateful and, and what do we mean by it and and like yeah super interesting i mean wow well, we, we don't have much more time, so I want to, yeah. to ask you a few things about... Yeah. Um, so we talked about GPT, we, we need to talk about ChatGPT, yeah. but I want to talk about ChatGPT and, and have your vision on it and, and how it changed uh, NLP. Mm -hmm. uh, but I want to mix it with the gaming part that we mentioned mm. earlier. Ah, yeah, there's... Yeah, there, so, okay. Let's so my it, idea yeah. before asking you about ChatGPT is, you mentioned about like how you were able to... like define uh, NPCs that will be happy, happy or angry mm, or anything. Mm. So I understand that in the coding, for example, if this NPC, if you do some X actions mm. and this NPC, mm. because you did these actions, have this state, this mood, is it like happy, for example, then there is a 30% chance that it will do something mm -hmm. yep. or, or like, or whatever. So, but, well, this is programming game, and, but uh, I'm super interesting to hear about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if this guy, He's happy and, and, and he's going to do some things. 
it could mean that if you use ChatGPT and like it's kind of doing a query to ChatGPT about tell me in a happy way that this. Mm-hmm. And so how would you relate this? First of all, what do you think about ChatGPT like in general? Because <laughs> everyone's talking about it like like in short, like how, how it might change and impact oh, yeah. and maybe mm-hmm. in game developing, how do you see ChatGPT being used? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. First Big question here. <laughs> yeah. No. First, it's uh, amazing. I love it. It's so powerful. Um, uh, it's as I said, not without defects. Um, the powerful stuff is that it, you can do many, many things uh, with it. Like uh, I don't know, uh, explaining a theorem by talking like a pirate. <laughs> like that's so crazy. Uh, and that works. So, and the main defect is about truth. And uh, how it can—it's it's a language model. It is not conscious. It is—it is—it has no uh, meaning of truth, and uh, and therefore it can give you blatant contradiction, or like things that are plainly wrong, and uh, you have to use it carefully. But for the creative, I mean, it's it was like the, the GPT approach is like for the creative people, um, people in the creative domain, or also with all the things that are happening in the in the image generation area with Dali 2, stable diffusion, majority, yes. all this work, and they are doing a lot of things. But um, for creative people, I think it's very useful. And for games, it might also be useful. I know that it has been already used in some cases, such as uh, I know that a guy has done a, a Mountain Blade uh, Warband game. You know, it's uh, like a first-person game, action game. And he connected an NPC to um, to ChatGPT and was able to to like um, uh, really talk to him. Actually, it had like a, uh, and I guess he had a prompt such as uh, imagine you are a peasant in this uh, village and you give some information yes. and then mm-hmm. he, you interact with the, the character. Okay. However, so you can you can do that. Of course, uh, mm-hmm. you build your prompt uh, by at uh, yeah by explaining the the context of the interaction, and then uh, you could chat with the with the character. Um, you can also do it with uh, GPT directly, GPT three, no problem. Huh? Um, and uh, the the thing is that. Uh, there, are, there are several shortcomings. It's not okay. that simple. It's not that simple. First, um, you would have to remember the past interaction too. That is, it's not just one interaction. Yes. We know that they are uh, context dependent. They can use some context, but uh, is it possible to have like one interaction one day? one interaction another day, a third interaction like two days later, and the character remembers all this past interaction. Maybe it's the case. I don't know. It's something to, to explore. Um, but the main problem I see with this, with this approach is mm-hmm. how would you convey e- events in the world, in the game world, to the, to the agent. That is, uh, imagine there's a murder somewhere in, the, in front of the peasant mm-hmm. or the, 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 the character, and the, the character um, has to react to this event. So you would have to encode the fact that there is a murder yes. uh, in the, the text prompt. 
so um, you you may do it but you would have uh, either to provide it in a formal form or maybe in a natural language form that's also something to try um, and in any case the if you want to use chat gpt as a as a behavioral model that is mm -hmm. how the character should react to this murder um, then uh, you would have to maybe ask ChatGPT, uh, how would you react to this? Something like that. Then you have to use the answer back and put yes. put it in your game. So you would mm -hmm. have to ask in a formal form, how would you react? That is, give me an action, uh, an action label, for instance. Therefore, you need yes. in your prompt also to encode the different kind of action labels that yes. your game is able to consume. Um, alternatively, you would have to parse it. If, you, if it's not already in formal form, you would have to parse it, uh, which makes it much harder because you may have something not interpretable and the character has to react. Mm. Also, it's, you have all the complexity of the... Of the um, embody the situation that is yes. what happens if the character does not see the murder i mean he's looking like this way but he has no awareness of what's behind so you need first to consider uh, his view and uh, you have to consider all sorts of context uh, aspects what about the character who is murdered is um, his enemy like if if it's his own enemy, then he would say, "Oh, no, I'm happy the guy is murdered. Well, okay, cool." Uh, but then you would have to encode that, uh, mm. and so you would have somehow to model the mental state mm. of yes. the of the character. Um, and and where do you encode it? Whether you encode it in the game or as a state, uh, because in the end the character will have to act in the world. Mm. Or you encode it in the text, uh, like in the past history, like mm. uh, you see the character, but it's your own enemy. How would you react? This mm. kind of thing. So yeah. it's yeah. it's like every NPC have to have like to. Uh, to have one knowledge uh, model to their self. Yeah. And like you, you go and add pieces and these pieces uh, of course. have to be uh, be able to send. And uh, and the, the, the complexity of the situation is how far you want to go because despite the fact that you have a very poor or full open-ended behavioral model, yes. you still have to, um, it's a bit, it's a bit like the problems you have in, in supervised learning where you would have to uh, carefully model your your problem that is you would have to for instance supervised learning you would have to model your classes what are the classes you want how many uh what kind of structure they have uh, and mm. uh, what kind of problem at and in this situation in the interaction between the world and the behavioral or reasoning model uh, that yes. you would do in ChatGPT, you have in any case to do this modeling mm. um so unless we build an end-to-end system that does the game, does the game world, does the text language, the text aspect, and reasoning yes. in end-to-end, -end, and they may they may be able to do it because you know uh, in reinforcement learning they are able given a picture to play the game, uh, just the pixels. So. Mm. 
it may be possible, but that's uh, wow. a future task. <laughs> <laughs> that's super interesting. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I'm looking at the time. Uh, so yeah. I think uh, that's perfect for, for the episode of today. I have just uh, three little questions for mm -hmm. everyone who is watching, uh, watching right now. Um, so the first one is, uh, in a short way, how do you keep, uh, you're so passionate about uh, a lot of things. I'm sure a lot of things we didn't know today because one hour is not enough to, to, mm. to know all about yourself, but video games, NLP, you've been in research, you've been, um, you've been in the private, in finance. Today you're working with psychologists, you're super interesting in the languages uh, itself. Um, how do you keep learning and being curious about things? Well, um, actually, mostly YouTube. <laughs> actually, mostly YouTube because there's a lot of content. There's a lot of very, very talented uh, YouTubers or that um, like explain a lot of things. So it gives you the first, the first thing. And if you want to go further, of course, YouTube is not enough. Even though there are there are some channels that are pretty, pretty good. Um, then, yeah, um, I sometimes read papers that, that happens much less, of course, than what I used to do in the public domain where it was my everyday life. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, YouTube is a, is a wonderful source of information and, uh, for me it's it's really great of okay. course i also read some articles or blog posts like on medium or this kind of things mm -hmm. but um yeah no but mostly youtube actually awesome <laughs> thanks <laughs> do you have a do you have a youtuber type of mind that you would recommend to for, for sure. take out? um yeah yeah yannick uh, kilchner uh, he's uh kilchner yeah i think he's it's, it's really good really really it's really nice and uh, he has a tone in his video that is very, um, you know, like uh, he, he, he likes to to pick some top topics and uh, are a bit, uh, you know, um, not not aggressive, but uh, like he's confronting ideas yes. and uh, in a way that is really pleasant, I think. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot. Um, if uh, for everyone who is listening, um, if they want to connect with you, know more about yourself or whether it's for your freelance or ask you questions or all of that, how can people reach out? What are your platforms or your socials? Well, I'm not that much on social media and social networks. Um, however, yeah, you can reach me by mail. <laughs> I answer by mail uh, like uh, a.denis at natlan.ai. That's my mm. mail address. Uh, yeah, but uh, I'm not really communicating a lot, you know, working mm. on my projects, my stuff, my game and uh, our customers working a lot, but uh, less communicating than yourself, I guess. You have a you have a website though, right? Where you yeah. can find a lot of your projects, your coding, what yeah. you've done. The, like yeah, that. yeah, that's uh, natlan.ai, yeah. N-A-T-L-A-N. Um, and yeah, there's uh, everything there. Oh, most of the things I've done and I've mm. worked on. And mm. there's a game, but if you if you try to look at the game, just <laughs> wait it that <laughs> it loads. <laughs> I should improve <laughs> the loading screen, which is not there. But yeah, uh, yeah happen. 
Thanks for the specification. Uh, and last questions. And before asking you this last question, I want to, to thank you a lot for coming on this podcast, sharing all your experiences with us. Um, I really enjoyed learning more about uh, your world and what you do. And, and I'm super aligned and, and I really enjoy uh, what Eredit is doing today. And I look forward to see uh, how do you implement AI in your games in the future. My last question is, uh, do you have a message for anyone who is listening? It can be career-wise uh, about AI, NLP, or whatever you feel like sharing, but do you have <laughs> a, a message for the audience? Um, I would say <laughs> learn statistics. <laughs> learn <laughs> statistics, it's a very fundamental topic. And uh, myself, as an engineer back then, we it was not like the the most important topics. But in machine learning, that's really important. If you mm -hmm. are a very good statistician, you understand really the data that's like fundamental. So I had to learn it by myself after. Um, but uh, doing that in school, but I guess that now people are doing that in school. But if mm. that's not your favorite matter, I would encourage you to look deeper into that. Um, I know that in France, it's not that much uh, or it's it's not the the main topic, I, and I'm not sure if right now it is or not in current schools. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's a very important topic that I think it spawns many many areas in machine learning. And as I said, that the data is like the the crucial part, and you mm. need to know your data. You need to know how it works, and uh, yeah. That's that's it. That would be my awesome. advice <laughs> and have fun too. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Well, thanks a lot, Alexandre, and thanks for everyone for staying up. Uh, if you're still uh, listening and here at the podcast, you're a real one. Uh, thanks a lot, and we see you on another episode. Bye. Congrats, you've made it to the end. I hope you had a great time and that you learned a few things. To learn more about AI, you can subscribe to my newsletter or check the blog. And to support the podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. You can also share it with two friends, colleagues or family members that might be interested. I wish you to have a wonderful day. Bye.